It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is green and gold history. 50 plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. This is A's baseball. This is green and gold history. Well, it's time now for a little green and gold history here on A's Cast, and we bring on our historian, Dave Feldman. How are you doing, Feldy? I'm hanging in there, County. How are you? I am doing well, uh, and I'm really looking forward to this list today because, yes, we've had perfect games. Yes, we've had no hitters in Oakland A's history, but what are the best pitch games that were not no-nos or a perfect game? Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that this week you have three anniversaries, as you guys were just talking about, you know, Fires, Catfish Hunter, Dallas Braden, you know, three of the A's, Oakland no-hitters on the, you know, three straight dates in May. It's amazing. But it made me think, it's like, well, yeah, the no-hitters get all the notoriety, and they should. But what about the great starting pitching performances that that weren't no-hitters that we don't maybe talk about enough? I think this is a good list to, to look at those games. By the way, when you heard that this was the 10th year anniversary of Dallas Braden's perfect game, did that just make you feel old or what? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, it, it really does seem like it was maybe a season or two ago uh, that we were out there on Mother's Day at the Coliseum and watching Dallas Braden throw a perfect game. And I was so happy for my dad. My dad had always wanted to see a perfect game. I mean, he was going to a baseball game since 1940. And we were there when Brian Holman and the Mariners in 1990 was one out away. And Ken Phelps hits a pinch hit home run to ruin the perfect game. And I remember my dad saying, I'll never see it. I'll never see a perfect game. And then 20 years later, to be there for Dallas Braden, I, 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 was, I was so happy for my dad. I will never forget doing the postgame show. And my wife is blowing up my phone going, how long are you going to go? We have to go to my mother's house for Mother's Day. My, 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 my father-in-law, rest in peace, was making this big dinner and family and everything. And I'm like, I, I, the guy just threw a perfect game. I got to take these phone calls. She was <laughs> I'm going to be on the air for a while, honey. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, she didn't like the text where I said, go without me. Oh, <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. He threw a perfect game. All right, let's get to your honorable mention. So, yeah, so the A's, uh, Oakland A's history, there have been two times where an A's starter was one out away from a no-hitter, two outs in the ninth. The first was Blue Moon Odom on June 7th, 1968, versus the Orioles. Blue Moon wasn't great this day. He actually walked eight batters. He actually gave up a run in the first inning. But he was still an out away until the Davy Johnson single. Broke up the no-no. Uh, still won the ball game. And then Ken Holtzman on June 8, 1975, against the Tigers. Uh, just a typical Holtzman game. He might have thrown 80 pitches into the ninth inning. 
uh, one walk, seven strikeouts. And then Tom Verizon at the fly ball to center field. And this has been talked about, and we've talked about it with Ray Fossey, and, and Holtzman has talked about it a little bit, that Billy North should have caught this ball. It was an easy fly to center. Uh, Billy said that he lost it in the sun. Other accounts said he just got a slow break on it. Whatever happened, it dropped in front of him for a double, break up the no-hitter. That would have been Ken Holtzman's third career no-hitter. Third, because he had two when he was with the Cubs. Uh, but those were the two times the A's were one out away uh, and didn't get it. So those were honorable mentions. I wish we could bring Holtzman back, get a time machine and bring the, the young Holtzman back and to watch a guy that just throws a fastball and then his changeup. It's it, it, it's not a circle change. It's just a BP fastball that enters. It, it's messing up their timing. And to watch him go out there and just mow down guys and uh, games over before nine o'clock. Imagine how great that would be. <laughs> no, it was just, it was very, you know, Mark Mulder, who, who we'll talk about on this list. Uh, it was very similar. He had more stuff, but his pace was the same. It was get the ball and throw it. Let's get out of here. Um, it, it really was refreshing to watch, watch Holtzman not mess around. It was a fastball and a VP fastball and let's go. Yeah, we had, we had Adam Rosales on and he talked about uh, going up against a guy like Mark Burley. He said you actually had to step out of the box to stop him because he was going too fast, which, uh, think about that. yeah, I was Adam like, Rosales trying to slow somebody down. Yeah. <laughs> well, ha- have you been watching the, uh, Korean baseball league? I have, I have watched some. Oh my, can you imagine Adam Rosales hitting, hitting a home run, pimping it with a big bat flip and then spreading around the bases. <laughs> I they do I, love their bat flips. Oh, I, you know what? And Dan Straley uh, told Eno Saris that they like encourage you to like fist pump when you strike guys out. I'm I'm starting to love me some Korean baseball. Hey, I, I like the emotion we saw it during the World Baseball Classic a couple of years ago. Uh, teams just really getting into it. I, I I like it. I think it brings a lot more to the game when you can watch the players get excited for things because it gets you jacked up, right? I mean, it's it's cool. I wish we had more of it in the big leagues. Yeah, I don't even care. They don't need. They don't even need fans in the stands, and they're still pimping it. And my biggest question, we're going to talk to somebody on Monday, has anybody ever been injured in the on-deck circle or the dugout from a crazy bat flip? (laughs) That is an awesome question. I cannot wait. All right, number 10. So number 10 is Jose Rio on April 19th, 1986 at Seattle at the Kingdom. Now, Jose Rio would come over in the, the first rookie trade with the Yankees. Uh, he was 18 when he made his debut with the Yankees in 84. He's 20 years old at Seattle, and he sets the A's record for strikeouts in a nine-inning game with 16 strikeouts. Eight innings, 16 strikeouts, only two runs. He struck out the side in the third and the fourth, um, backed up by Dave Kingman, who had a two-run homer and a three-run homer off Mark Langston. And Langston struck out a whole bunch of guys, too. In fact, in this baseball game, the A's and Mariners combined to strike out 30 times, which was the major league record for a nine-inning game. It was only broken just a few years ago, 30 days. So Jose Rio was on, and the A's were excited because this is what the guy they thought they made this trade for for Ricky because Rio had a world of talent. And then his next start, he goes against Seattle at home this time, and he strikes out 14. So he had 30 strikeouts in back-to-back games, which is the Oakland record. Um, you know, striking out Seattle that year, it seemed to be a little easier because 
just a couple days later, Roger Clemens would strike out 20 of them on April 29th. But Rio setting the Oakland record for 16 strikeouts. And here's another thing about Jose Rio that I, I think is unique, right? Because he pitches for the Reds, you know, wins the World Series MVP in 1990. Don't really want to talk about it, but it happened. Um, but he has Tommy, Sur- Tommy John surgery in 1995, which led up to three other arm surgeries. You know, you always hear about the surgery is successful. In this case, with Jose Rio, it was not. It just led to more and more surgery, and he ends up missing five years. So he's on the Hall of Fame ballot. And he gets a Hall of Fame vote in 2001. And he comes back to pitch in the majors in 2001 after already receiving a Hall of Fame vote, which I think, I believe, is the only player to do that. Uh, he actually pitches in the majors in 01 and 02, goes back on the ballot in 2008, and gets no votes. <laughs> well, well, what happened to the guy I voted for in 2001? He said, no, that comeback did it for me. I'm not going to vote for him anymore. So how about that, getting a Hall of Fame vote and coming back and playing? Yeah, and how many guys, this would be an interesting list, how many guys pitch for an organization, and however they left, they come back to haunt that organization in a World Series? Yeah, the short list. You know, the A's traded Rio with Tim Burgess to the Reds to get Dave Parker. It was a good trade for the A's. The A's needed Dave Parker. He was great in 88 and 89. So I still think it was a successful trade. Uh, it's just it's too bad that Rio became so good in 90 with a great Reds team, with a great bullpen, and, and he, just, he just ruined the A's hopes. Was there anything cooler than watching Dave Parker swing a sledgehammer in the on-deck circle? How intimidating was that? You talk about bat flips? Talk about a guy with a sledgehammer. <laughs> you imagine you're pitching, you look over, and this monster's over there swinging a sledgehammer. Uh-oh, that's not going to be good. All right, number nine. Number nine is Brett Anderson, July 6, 2009, at Boston. And this is Brett Anderson's rookie year. Uh, and he's had an up-and-down rookie year for the first three months. His ERA is a 5.45, typical rookie year. Uh, he's going up as a Red Sox team at Fenway, the best record in the American League at the time. And not only that. It's Nomar Garcia-Para's first game back at Fenway Park since he got traded away in 2004. So the place is electric. Oh, not only that, John Smoltz is making his first Fenway start for the Red Sox. So this place is on fire this night. And here comes Brett Anderson. And all Brett Anderson does, throwing 97-mile-an-hour heaters, a two-hit shutout with only two walks and nine strikeouts just dominated the Red Sox this night. And it had been 13 years since a lefty had even threw, thrown a shutout at Fenway. And that was Scott Carl in 1996. You had to go back to 1989, 20 years since a rookie lefty had thrown a shutout at Fenway. And that was Jim Abbott. And this, this came out of the blue. And Brett Anderson, he ends up having a really good year, right? 11-11, um, strikes out an Oakland rookie record, 150 batters, finishes six in the rookie of the year voting. Uh, Andrew Bailey of the A's won it that year. But that night at Fenway, you saw what the ceiling was for Brett Anderson and it was it was amazing to watch him just dominate a good good Red Sox team. So you mentioned a name, Scott Carl. My junior season, our baseball team in San Diego, we set records, offensive records. We were dominant. We were the favorite to win Division 2A. Like, no one thought anyone would be able to beat us. We only lost one game in the league, right? We're dominant. 
and we're playing at Grossmont Junior College in the playoffs, and some guy that we had never even heard of comes out and throws like a two-hit shutout against us. We set the record for most runs ever scored for at that time for a San Diego high school baseball team. Uh, Scott Carl was the guy's name. <laughs> we'll never forget that. We're like, who is this guy? Uh, well, he's pitching the big leagues. All right, number eight. Number eight, it's another two-hit shutout for the Red Sox. And this time, it's Tim Hudson. This is August 11, 2003, going up against the Red Sox and Pedro Martinez. Uh, the A's and the Red Sox were battling for a wild-card spot or possible division at this point in the season in August. Uh, it's the first game of a four-game series. Coliseum is jumping, uh, and Hudson just dominates against Pedro. And, that, you know, Hudson was good against the other team's aces. I mean, he was good when he faced the Diamondbacks to Randy Johnson. Uh, He's good against Pedro. And and this night, the best. Uh, And Hudson called it after the game, his best best pitching performance at the time. And he said, especially with the stakes going against Pedro, he gave up two hits. Both of them were only infield singles. One walk, seven strikeouts. At one point, he retired 15 of 16, retired the final seven hitters, only three fly balls. Three fly balls, that was it, against, a, again, a mashing Red Sox team the A's would meet in, in the playoffs. 28 batters, he threw only 93 pitches. Just, in 2003, I, I think Hudson probably was his best year. He was 16-7, and seven, didn't get a lot of run support, especially early in the year, but a career-high 240 innings pitch, career-low 2.70 ERA, finished fourth in the Cy Young. But that night, with those stakes and that crowd, Tim Hudson, that that was it. He was he was money. Yeah, he was a baseball player. He could hit. He he hit at Auburn. I mean, he he was he 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 just knew. I mean, he was one of those pitchers that was a true athlete, and uh, always appreciated his game. Number seven. Number seven is Matt Keogh, who unfortunately just passed away last week. Yeah. But Matt Keogh on May seventeenth, nineteen eighty, at Toronto, becomes the first of four of the A's five aces to pitch 14 innings in a game. Wow. And this one, this one's almost, it could have been heartbreaking because the A's are leading 2-1 with two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Again, Keogh is just, he's nails this day. But Dave Revering, the A's first base, and makes an error to keep the Jays alive. And Roy Howe goes the opposite way down the left field line, scoring Willie Upshaw from first, tying the game. Roy Howe tries to go for an inside the parker and is actually thrown out at the plate by Ricky Henderson to keep the game tied. So now this game's going in extra innings. Dave Steve is pitching for the Blue Jays, and he he's he's nailed. He's gone. He goes the first twelve. But Keogh, after the Hal triple, retires thirteen of the last sixteen batters he faces. The A's end up scoring two in the top of the fourteenth. Uh, Jeff Newman RBI single, Mickey Clutz RBI double. Uh, Keogh's final line in this game: fourteen innings pitched. Five hits, one earned run. They turned four double plays behind them. Uh, again, this is Billy Martin and saying, he's the best I got, and we're just going to go. And then the next month, Mike Norris has a 14-inning game that the A's win on a Tony Armas walk-off grand slam. In July, Rick Langford goes 14, a game that Rick Langford had a 5 nothing lead in the ninth, gave up five in the ninth for the Indians to tie it on a Toby Hare grand slam, but the A's win it on a Dave McKay walk-off single. And then in August, Steve McCaddy, those 14 innings. Uh, actually, he's the only of the A's losers 
uh, pitchers to lose it. You give up a Dan Meyer solo homer on the top of the 14th. But Matt Keogh was the first. And again, in that year, since 1980, that's the last time any starting pitchers has gone 14 innings in a game. Can you imagine if a manager in today's baseball left a guy out there for 14 innings, what, 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 what the reaction would be by the local and national media? Yeah. You don't even see a starting pitcher get to pitch in the 10th anymore, right? You nine is you, and that's rare, right? Complete games, nine innings is, is so rare, but to pitch 14, I uh, just, these guys would get burned if they, if they were go out there, but then with, you know, Billy Martin, he thought it was his best chance. Now, Obviously, we know about the A's injuries that came later with the starting pitchers uh, for a lot of the innings pitched. And was it the innings pitched? Was it the strain by throwing maybe spitters that Art Fowler taught him? Uh, but at the time, Billy Martin had no problem letting his starters go out there. And I remember the fifth of the five aces, Dave Kingman, he never got a chance to go 14, and he always felt slighted by that. Number six. I think it's a Dave Brian Kingman. Uh, number six is Dave Stewart. And there's a lot of Dave Stewart performances that we could, you know, games against Roger Clemens, um, some of the postseason games. So I picked August 1st, 1990, versus the Mariners. Uh, a Wednesday business person special at the Coliseum, 31,000 on a Wednesday afternoon. And all Dave Stewart did was pitch 11 shutout innings against the Mariners, giving up only five hits. Uh, the A's finally winning it in the bottom of the 11th on a Doug Jennings finch hit single. Uh, but 11 innings from Stu, only 129 pitches. And he had five of those hits. Three of those five hits were by Ken Griffey. Uh, again, it's the most innings pitched in the shutout in Oakland history. Uh, the game only lasted two hours and 38 minutes. Uh, Stu would finish that year 22-14, and 14, his fourth straight 21 season. And those 11 innings in 1990, that's the last time any starting pitcher in Major League Baseball has thrown 11 innings in a start. That's unbelievable. Well, no, it's not unbelievable. We're happy to think of <laughs> six. Uh, number five. Number five is Rich Harden. And this is the first game after the All-Star break, July 14, 2005, versus the Rangers. And... You know, Ken Maka had a decision to make who was who we wanted to start that first game after the break. Was it going to be Harden or was it going to be Zito? And he went with Harden because he thought with how hard Harden throws that the Ranger batters would be late uh, coming off the All-Star break. And he was right. Harden throws a two-hit shutout. He was perfect into the eighth inning before he gave up an Alfonso Soriano one-out single. Uh, DeLucci would get a two-out single in the ninth. But he had never been more efficient than this game. Only one three-ball count the entire game. Seven times the Rangers put the first ball and in, put into play. His fastball sitting at 99. His change was at 90. And this was, this was peak Rich Harden. And the most amazing thing about this ball game, he throws 80 pitches. 80. 61 strikes. Uh, since pitch count data became reliable in 1988, that is the fewest by an A's pitcher in a complete game, only 80 pitches to throw a two-hit setup. God, he was such a China doll, though. Uh, I always thought of him more like a Ferrari, uh, where just with one little thing was off, the whole car would break down. <laughs> and it's going to be in the shop for a while. Yes. <laughs> All right, number four. 
Number four is unfortunately another pitcher who's passed away, and that's Corey Lytle. And this is uh, August 21st, 2002 at Cleveland. Uh, August 2002, I think we all know what was happening there, right? They were in a bit of a streak. Um, but the first four months of the 2002 season, uh, Corey Lytle, who was the A's fourth starter, he didn't really pitch very well. A three and nine with a 5.15 ERA. Uh, showed some signs when he threw a one-hitter against the Rangers in, in July. The only hit being a Juan Gonzalez double in the eighth. Uh, but then the A's get hot, and so does Corey Lytle. Uh, August 4th, he throws seven shutout innings, allowing only one hit against the Tigers. August 10th, Yankee Stadium, eight shutout innings. August 16th, first the White Sox, seven shutout innings. That's 22 straight scoreless innings going in to what was then Jacobs Field and the Cleveland Indians, and a Cleveland team that could rake. And all he does is he gives up an Ellis Burke two-out single in the first. Jim Tomey followed with a walk, and that was it. He, fought, he retired the final 25 batters in a row. He's still, to this day, the only pitcher to ever allow one or fewer hits in a game at Jacobs Field or Progressive Park, whatever you want to call it now. Still the only pitcher to do that. And in the history of that ballpark, only 13 opposing pitchers have thrown a shutout. Uh, Corey Lytle's one on Sonny Gray did it for the A's in 2015. Uh, but Corey Lytle, what a streak, right? That Nine shutout innings brought it to 31. It would eventually reach 32 before he allowed an unearned run in Kansas City, thanks to a Dave Justice error. But that August, Corey Lytle, in six starts, went 5-0 and with an 0.20 ERA. Obviously, the pitcher of the month. A's are winning 20 in a row. Uh, but that night in Cleveland, I'm just sitting, and I remember I sat in the stands for a lot of that game. We weren't televising that night. And just complete control of a, of a great hitting ball club. You know, it sucked for me during the streak is that was back when I was doing the morning show on KMBR and, you know, doing a morning show, you you, you got to go to bed. I mean, when you're getting up at three 30 in the morning, you can't be staying up till after 10 o'clock to watch games. So I, I would only be able to watch the first parts of the game and I'd have to wait till the next day when I got up. I remember I'd be driving up one one and uh, I'd listen to KCBS to hear whether they won or not. I mean, I got to see the day games, but that's what's uh, doing morning radio, man. You miss so much because you can't be up. I've always thought that way. I thought for our friend Steve Bitker at KCBS. I mean, how many moments has he missed because he's had to go to bed to get up to do those early sports reports? Oh, it's such a miserable lifestyle. I I swear I will never go back. Uh, Number three. Number three is a man we mentioned earlier, Mark Mulder, July 6, 2001 at Arizona. Uh, you know, 2001 A's off to a bad start. They're 2-10. They're 8-18. and Now they're going to play the Diamondbacks, the last series of the All-Star break, yeah. and their record sits at 41-43. and 43. And the first night, it's Mulder. So he's pitching for that for that weekend. It's Mulder on Friday, Hudson on Saturday, Zito on Sunday. So, so it's set up nicely. But Mulder in that Friday night game, he's going up against Brian Anderson of the Diamondbacks, and he is just nailed. Now, 0-0 going into seventh inning. And the A's rallying. Bryce Manichino a double. Ron Gant a triple. Tejada a single. Almeida signs a double. Uh, the A's get the lead, and Mulder just mows down the Diamondbacks. The only base runner was a Danny Batista. Clean single to left leading off the A's inning. No walks, nine strikeouts, 100 pitches, no three-ball count. Never went to three balls on a batter. And except for the Batista single, there was no hard contact. Everything was weakly put into play. This was prime Mark Mulder, a moment when the A's needed it, right? 
Uh, the A's would end up sweeping the series. Uh, Mulder, Hudson, Zito getting the three wins. They go 60 and 18 to end the year. 60 and 18 in the last 78 games. Finished with a 102 wins. Uh, Mulder himself would go on to throw a shutout in his next start. So a back to back shutout. Uh, 13 and 2 down the stretch. Finished second in the Cy Young to Clemens. Uh, but that night, that's what started it for me, especially watching that team, that series in Arizona, and that night, that Friday night game when Mulder did what he did, almost a perfect game, that started it. You know, watching all these classic games and watching that World Series in 01 where Bob Melvin and the D-backs come back to win in Game 7, you know, and we were just talking to Jim Leland. Now, you forget how good the 97 Marlins were, and they never got a chance to defend. There was a ton of talent on that Marlins, and that's one of the great World Series, uh, 1997. That's been one of the fun, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of fun about this, but going back and looking at old-school baseball, that has been great. And Mulder that night, I remember, I mean, that that was a, I mean, that's the World Series champs. Yeah, exactly. And when the A's needed it, uh, and Art Howe, I remember he talked about how important it was to get to 500. And here the A's are sitting two games below 500 right before this weekend series. And he, he really marked that down that you had to get back. So you go out, you finish that first half 44 and 43 with a winning record after such a terrible start. Uh, Mulder Hudson Zito at their best that season. All right. Number two. Number two takes us to 1971 and Vita Blue. And this. I'm thinking, you know, Vita Blue already had a no-hitter on his record. Uh, he's going to have an, another near no-hitter uh, in 76 where he took a one out in the ninth versus the Tigers. But this, I think, was his best pitch game and maybe the best pitch game, well, in my opinion, the second best non-no-hitter game. And on July 9th, 1971 versus the Angels, and all Vita Blue did that night was 11 innings, no runs, 17 strikeouts. Still an Oakland record for a game, an extra inning game. Unfortunately, the A's couldn't score either because Rudy May was just as tough on the other side. He threw 12 innings and struck out 13. But think about that. By 11 innings, 17 strikeouts, no walks. And at the time, it was only the second no-walk, 17-strikeout game in Major League history. Louis Tion had zero and 19 in 1968 uh, there have been a bunch more now the way strikeouts have been uh, but 17 strikeouts no walks just dealing and then raleigh fingers comes in in relief to start the 12th he pitches seven innings he strikes out seven more yeah seven innings in relief uh, the A's would win it in the bottom of the 20th on an angel manguel single still the longest game in coliseum history still a major league record for 43 combined strikeouts by both teams. Still the major league record. But that day, Vita Blue, you know, that 71 year, right? MVP, Cy Young, 24 and 8. Uh, but that night, 17 strikeouts in 11 innings. Let me ask you this MVP, Cy Young, three time World Series champion, six time All Star, an ERA title, won 209 games, a 3.27 ERA. Should Vita Blue be in the Baseball Hall of Fame? You know, it's, it's a great question. I don't think so, though. I think he just falls short. Um, you know, some of those, the middle years of his career, obviously with some bad A's teams and some bad Giants teams. 
Um, he's close, but I, I don't think he's there. And you talk about he had a win for each league in the All-Star game, which no one else has done. Um, and the way his career ended, uh, the suspension with Kansas City, um, and then he was going to make a comeback with the A's and kind of just left spring training. I, I think he's just short. Isn't he still the last switch hitter to win an MVP in the American League? That is true. He's still the last switch hitter to win the uh, – uh, yeah, still the last switch hitter. <laughs> All right, number one. So number one, and this might shock some people, but if you were there that day, this was the most dominant pitching performance I have ever witnessed. And this was June 23rd, 1994, Bobby Witt versus the Kansas City Royals. Bobby Witt, right, he was acquired in the Jose Canseco trade in 1992. Uh, with the Rangers, he led the league in walks three times. Uh, he had this world of talent, but couldn't control it. Uh, it was walk or strikeout. Uh, but then 1993, his first full year with the A's and working with Dave Duncan, uh, his walks dropped. And he starts to be a more effective pitcher. 94 starts, and he regressed. And through June 18th, he was 4-7 and seven with a 6.15 ERA, averaging five walks per nine innings. It was the old Bobby Witt. But all of a sudden, against the Royals, day game at the Coliseum, as dominant as I've ever seen a pitcher. It goes in the record books as a one-hit shutout, 14 strikeouts, and 121 pitches. But the only hit should not have been a hit. Uh, with one out in the sixth inning, already down 3 nothing. Greg Gag- Gagne of the Royals lays down a bunt up the first baseline. Troy Neal, the A's first baseman, fields it, throws to it covering, beats the runner, runners out, except first base umpire Gary Cedarstrom calls him safe. And you know, no replay in 1994. Uh, but everyone in the ballpark who saw it knows Bobby Witt beat Gagne to the back. Replay, television replays showed that Bobby Witt beat him to the bat. So Gary Cedarstrom's blown call cost him a perfect game. Uh, struck out six of the final seven batters. Uh, only four three-ball counts for a guy who walks everybody. And three of those three-ball counts came in the second inning. And this was just the start for Bobby Witt because he would pitch three shutouts in a row. Next start, a two-hitter versus the Angels. Started after that, a six-hitter at Fenway Park. He tied the Oakland record uh, set by Mike Torres in 1976 with three straight shutouts. And, in fact, the only pitcher since then to throw even two straight shutouts was Mark Mulder, who we just talked about in 2001. Uh, you know, Witt would go on to pitch in the big leagues through, 2000, through the 2001 season. He won a ring with those 2001 Diamondbacks. He pitched in that World Series. Now he's a player agent. And his son, Bobby Witt Jr., was the second pick in the 2019 draft by the Royals. So the Bobby Witt legacy will li- live on. But that day at the Coliseum, I have never seen a pitcher dominate like Bobby Witt did the Royals. All right, let's go back over your top 10, starting with number 10. Number 10, Jose Rio, 1986 at Seattle, 16 strikeouts, an Oakland record for a nine-inning game. Number nine, Brett Anderson, 2009 at Boston, a two-hit shutout, a lefty at Fenway hadn't done that, a lefty rookie at Fenway hadn't done that in 20 years. Number eight, Tim Hudson, a two-hitter versus the Red Sox and Pedro Martinez in August of 2003 with only giving up two infield singles and only three fly ball outs. Number seven, Matt Keogh, 1980 at Toronto, goes 14 innings to get the win, giving up only one earned run. 
Number six, Dave Stewart, August 1st, 1990 versus the Mariners. He's the last time any starting pitcher has thrown 11 innings, and this was an 11-inning shutout, the longest shutout in Oakland history by an individual pitcher. Number five, Rich Harden, July 14, 2005 versus the Rangers. Two-hit shutout where he throws an Oakland record few 80 pitches, 61 strikes, 80 pitches in a two-hit shutout. Uh, number four, Corey Lytle, a one-hitter, the only one-hitter ever thrown at Jacobs Field by an opposing pitcher in 2002 at Cleveland, retiring the last 25 batters in a row. Number three, Mark Mulder, 2001 at Arizona. He has a perfect game going into the eighth. Gives up the only hit to Danny Batista. That's it. No three-ball counts and a one-hitter facing only 28 batters. Number two, Vida Blue, 1971 versus the Angels. An Oakland record 17 strikeouts and only in 11 innings pitched. No runs, no walks, 17 strikeouts and 11 innings. Days would win in 20. And finally, Bobby Witt, who should have had a perfect game if it wasn't for a blown call by Gary Cedarstrom at first base. He had to settle for a one-hit shutout with 14 strikeouts. That was awesome. Unbelievable. That research that you did for this list. Thank you so much. We always love having you being a part of Green and Gold history. And uh, we will talk to you very soon. Be well. Thanks, Tony. That was a lot of fun. That's our A's historian, Dave Feldman. And another top 10 list right here on Green and Gold History, A's cast powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.